there we go. There, there's the cold open. It's like anyway. Um, I'm just going to do the cold open of you. See, I do that every time. As soon as I do this, I'm like, it's because it's so great. It's because it's so great. Shut every time I. Yeah. Because it's always the one where it's always the one where you think that you come up with the cold open and then you say something afterwards that I'm like, yes, it is totally true. Graham McMillan contrarian. Simultaneously, like pulling, pulling, yeah, I'm pulling the thing that you don't think I'm going to pull, but I'm also robbing people of the jokes that you think was great. <laughs> See, that should be your gold open. <laughs> okay. Citizens of Mega City One, uh, welcome to Drock, a monthly podcast wherein we read through Judge Dredd the complete case files um, covering the storied history of Mega City One's greatest lawman. With me is my host, the delightful, talented, charming, and um, slightly scandalous. I thought you were going to explain the scandalous thing, so that's why I didn't say my name. Hi, I'm Graham McMillan. Apparently, I'm slightly scandalous, and I don't know why. <laughs> I, you know, it it was that thing, uh, some of the stuff we were talking about that may or may not piece it into the cold open. I was like, that's scoundrel. And I realized scoundrelous is not a word, Graham. And it's, I spent a ridiculously long amount of time kind of blocked up over... What exactly to say? I'm Jeff Lester, the somewhat uh, dim-witted, uh, slow-footed, and um, semi-aphasic co-host that will also be um, on this episode tonight uh, as we make our way through Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files, Volume 38, comprising 2000 AD Progs 1385 through 1387, sorry, 1365 through 1387, and Issues 207 through 213 of the Judge Dredd magazine. Um, do you wish to mention the years, Graham? Yes, yes. They come from the years 2003 and 2004. As you say, 2003 also includes the um, annual Prague 2004 in there, which mm. is a really early one. I think it's the second story in, in the in the book. This is material mostly by uh, John Wagner in terms of writing, although Gordon Rennie's in there, as is uh, Alan Grant for one incredibly underwhelming story and john smith for another incredibly underwhelming story um the artists are all over the shop there's some carl critchlow in there there's a lot of cliff robinson for once mm-hmm. john bird's in there carlos Escara's in there charlie adlard from walking dead is in here for an extended run as well mm-hmm. yeah it's, it, i'd say it's a good looking book a, a fact that sort of undercuts the uh the cover which has of all things a reservoir dog theme yeah um for a material again that came out ten years after Reservoir Dogs did. Right? Very fresh, you guys. An excellent choice. By the way, those of you who are trying to um uh sky surf about Mega City One to find us, uh we are recording live from the corner of Gilbert Shelton's analog block. Um <laughs> Wow. 
Wow. Yes. Um, which I which we can talk about later. It's a it's it's a building with a uh, yes my phrase of the evening a storied history. So uh, yes, Graham. Um, you as you said, I had some looking book. But you also have a certain degree of, uh, I guess, trepidation about it. Am I am I reading that correctly? Um, I, you're, you're reading slightly incorrectly. I really love the Wagner material in this book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Wagner is on top form. I think that the Grant material and the Smith material, the Smith material especially, feels very weak. Well, uh, for, yes. For, you know, given given what Smith has previously done with Dread, yeah, I think Smith material is is very under par and you know the grant material is very alan grant but that's not necessarily a compliment mm-hmm. uh rennie i think has a strong showing again i think so too actually rennie's got a semi-miss uh but at least one or two solid hits i think actually here yeah and you know and rennie only does like three stories here mm-hmm. so i honestly think two hits which i'd agree with you i wonder if we're thinking the same story as the miss i think that's a really good batting average but wagner has a great book yeah with this he really does. He really does. You know, does. like, Wagner is on top form here. Mm-hmm. And for all that I really, like, drastically did not like the Smith & Grant material. Mm. And Wagner is just so good. Mm-hmm. And I don't care. Right. Smith & Grant could have written the worst stories ever and I'd still be like, well, this book's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that certainly helps, uh, for me, I I thought this was a strong volume overall. And one of the things that I think does work in its favor in that sense is the weakest material in part is packed up front. Like admittedly, uh, Grant's master of fear comes in around the 77 page mark, but you have, you start with the Smith material. Yeah. It's a slog. And once it is through, you are just kind of, all but overwhelmed by the quality. Now, I have to say, as you know, and as listeners of the podcast know, I am not a fan of Siku, and here he is once again. <laughs> With maybe his worst showing. I think so. I think so. I have to say that Siku does a combination of just some truly terrible storytelling choices combined with some uh, incredibly lazy rendering. Um and I think, you know, you, I tend to have more fondness than you do for the, I, I feel like Smith's dread stories overall. Um, and I felt like this one honestly had a lot of potential, especially in theory, as the story is supposed to get going, because it's a very, um, in, you're thrown right into the deep end of the pool uh, right from the very first Prague, and then it just, in theory, keep, should keep building in intensity. But um, in in theory, exactly though, the problem, right? Yes. Like there are, there are some there's conceptually Meatmonger, which is I think a six part story. Mm-hmm. Like there is there's there's some really interesting stuff there. Yeah, you know the idea of for all intents and purposes an alien invasion that that takes place by stealing people off Earth first. Mm-hmm. You know. Is is a good one, mm-hmm. you know the idea that that dread is one of those taken, but as is uh, you know a violent criminal that dread has previously dealt with, and they have to team up again, you know that's great. Mm-hmm. We, we, that that continues a, a long a long running theme mm-hmm. of dread has to team up the criminal for the greater good. You know, going all the way back to you know the day the law died, uh, right? Yeah. But we've seen like you know 
Dread teamed up with uh, Judge Death. He teamed up with the Mean Machine. I was going to say Cursed Earth. Cursed Earth Saga, right? Is is um... oh yeah, because Fergie, right? Right. Not Fergie. Um, Spikes. What? Spikes wrong. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like like that that you know that's that is a, a trope, mm-hmm. and it's, honestly, it's a fun trope. It is. You know, it's one of the more fun things about Meatmonger for me. Mm-hmm. But um, Meatmonger's under undercut for me at least by two things. One, Smith just doesn't make it work, and it's surprising because mm. I think in the past Smith has had a greater facility with, um, for want of a better way of putting it, like the Wagnerisms of mm-hmm. Dread. Mm-hmm. And this feels much more like an Alan Grant story mm. in that it all feels a bit too glib and a bit too empty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and this cannot be understated, Siku's art is so bad yeah. that it's, it's, it's just, it's a, pain to read mm-hmm. like it's a struggle to read this strip yeah in the past sequel has had you know really confusing layouts some dodgy anatomy but there's always been a sense of like well specifically also got this beautiful painting style mm-hmm. you know because colors are amazing and the textures and even if as both you and i have felt like, you know, Siku is not a sequential artist. You could be like, yeah, but, you know, Siku is an interesting artist. And this one, where it's line art that's computer colored, you don't even have that. Yeah. 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 It's true. You, you just have all the negatives. You mm-hmm. only have the negatives. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, there's a lot of fucking negatives here. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really underscores how much Siku is not a good sequential artist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is, for the first, I think at least the first two, chapters mm-hmm. there's a number of double page spreads yes and it's not clear a that they're double page spreads at first yes mm-hmm. but b even when you know they are sometimes they're not right yes right sometimes they are double page spreads that you still have to read as individual pages even though they're double page spreads. exactly because you cannot control how the eye goes down the page yeah yep. it also doesn't seem to be in control themselves yeah of how the page is meant to be read yeah you know, and, and so when you have something that is, in terms of the writing, already, you know, slightly under par, mm-hmm. and then you have art that just fights you in trying to read the fucking comic. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Plus, I think that, you know, it, there is a... If you're going to tell a story in which a, a bunch of people, including Dread, are kidnapped off of earth to essentially a floating galactic slaughterhouse where they're being killed and dread in the process of trying to fight back more or less um gets several of the other alien races that we've seen in dread prior um such as the clegs involved um I feel like that that story is something that calls for, like, you know, a lot of visual detail and panache. Like, it's literally a the devil's in the details kind of story. Like, you have people running around in a, in a cosmic slaughterhouse with different aliens alternately shifting their alliances and going crazy in the background while everyone tries to survive and so you start off with kind of a 
grim regimented prison situation and then it's supposed to blow into a semi-disaster movie um you know just try and survive situation and there's you need detail in that you need you need a sense of scope and you also need a, a an ability to to have control of your storytelling so that you can you can crank up the sense of chaos and unfortunately the closest Siku gets towards the end is it got to the point where it was just literally impossible for me to tell who what was happening to whom like i would have to yeah yeah and it's also a problem when you're trying to do visual callbacks Mm -hmm. and your artist literally can't complete that yes exactly do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it, it, when you your artist literally can't draw the characters that you're supposed to be able to recognize on site yes like yeah. that's a that's a real problem yep. that's a real problem yeah yeah um so... and and yet that is something that this this serial does you know at, at, at every available opportunity yeah right so, I mean, honestly, it is it is among the worst opening salvos that I think a case files has ever had. Um and between that and like you said just that unbelievably dated cover, I was like, "Oh, where this is going to be a really rough ride. Um qu- quite the slog." And yet I'm really happy to report it goes on to get substantially better after that and and stay at a pretty high standard for the majority of the volume with the exception of the the grant strip and i just want to call it the grant script very very quickly it's called master of fear it's uh grant and and uh john burns uh, john burns john burns doing you know fine work oh god but, but yeah. you may or may not remember what nuts that we uh previously did a grant story where he uh dread is dealing with a villain with a crystal skull yeah and you know, was like, "Fuck knows if we ever see him again." Turns out we do. Yes, but we do in a story that feels like a contractual obligation as opposed to a story. And for me, at least, gets rid of the character without ever properly explaining the character. Mm-hmm. 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 I don't know if you feel the same, but I, oh, I feel very that much. It, so. it literally exists to fulfill the obligation of like, "Well, I said he'd come back, so here he is back." But I've killed him off now. Thanks, bye. Yeah. Gosh, it it. It makes me think of, like, I don't remember. Somebody was, there was a Star Wars novel sequel where someone had hit upon the idea of, you know, the master villain, the the dark Jedi at the core of it, was going to be a clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi, you know? And okay. they were like, slam dunk, this is just going to be an idea that's just going to, like knock everyone's socks off. And then Lucasfilm was like, no, you can't do that. And so they had to rewrite it. And of course, at that point, all the rest, they had to try and invent the emotional weight of the that character kind of at a whole cloth. And it just ended up being, you know, everyone said like, oh, we had, you know, such a good idea. I'm not really sure that the Crystal Skull was meant to be like, the reincarnated remains of Rico or something. All I know is is that he hit in his first appearance. He, he must have been something more than that. He, he must have been. He must have been. The very thing, everything about him was such classic, like almost shockingly, um from 
because I feel it's very rare that we see a lot of bleed in a way from American comics tropes into dread but the idea that dread gets beat up by a guy in in the first appearance of the crystal skull gets beat up by a guy who has clearly been training his whole time to to beat dread into pudding has all these special tools developed it manages to know dread psychology so that he can keep some off balance and then more or less just disappears taunting him that he's going to be back and will really make him pay um is you know what i mean like it's such a classic like oh wow <laughs> this norman osborne sure has it in for judge dread you know what i mean and so um the fact that he shows up here again and yet seems to just kind of be like I've got one cool visual motif. Let me tell you, the world's most single generic Judge Dredd villain story. Um, and for whatever reason, I've decided you're the dude who's going to pay for it. You know, Judge Dredd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It it is. You know, it's it's kind of shocking that that the villain who was built up is like, you know, I'm going to be a I'm going to be like. A threat, a real threat. Yeah, and we said this, but like he appeared like once, right? The, no. the, the Crystal Skull appearance for us was one episode long. Yeah, but it was an episode that existed purely to say this guy is a big deal and he's a threat. Yes, exactly. And then he comes back for a three-part story where a he doesn't get a name. Yeah, yeah. Like everyone calls him the Crystal Skull, and he never gets an actual name yep. at all. Yep. He gives an origin, which is basically just I remember the Apocalypse War. Mm-hmm. Mm, that was a fucker. And <laughs> that, that, I mean, is there really that much more to it than that? No, there's really not. Well, I mean, um, that was a fucker. Like, ah, uh, and then my family died, and ah, uh, I blame you, Dread. It it's you know? so generic. Yeah, no, right? completely, completely. Uh, and then, in fact, it took me a couple of reads before I was like, oh, he's Russian. Mm-hmm. Okay, fine. Like right. that. That almost makes sense. Right. But then. Like, Dread beats him by being like, mm, he preys on my fears. You know what I'm going to think about? I'm going to think about his fears. That'll teach him. And it works. Yes. No. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. so shockingly lazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it feels, you know, we've in the past talked about how, you know, it feels like Grant isn't even trying when he does these. Mm-hmm. But this one is, is taking pissed. Like, yeah. this one. This one really feels like Grant is not giving a shit. Yeah. It, uh, and it's a shame because, again, you know, John Burns is, is oh, painting his little heart out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, It's just it's just gorgeously pulpy, you know? Like, the the everything, all the descriptive characters. Also, I'm like, he gets beaten by, like, like, and that's it. The Crystal Skull, when he first shows up, admittedly is very much in the idea of, like, as we've seen happen, is the, oh, here's a character, and he's he's a huge badass, to use the to use the joking um, terminology, like, oh, he's the next Stan Lee, you know, um, and, and that's just... By which we mean Stan Lee, the Dread character, not Stan Lee, the, the co-creator of Marvel. Do we, Graham? Do we? Oh, I, I, I know what I mean. <laughs> I love how you're like, okay, Jeff, if you, I'm cutting you loose. If you want to go down that path, you're free, but I'm not, I'm not getting called in in these shenanigans. Uh, yeah, just, just a real wet fart of a story for better or worse. Again, thank God. I mean, you know, in a way, if we had had it reversed, 
where John Burns had drawn uh, Meatmonger and uh, Siku had drawn the Crystal Skull, like, at least it kind of would have been, like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, uh, then maybe, like, maybe Smith's material would have been redeemed, but I, I don't know. I don't think so. I just, basically, reading the Crystal Skull was just, uh, I'm enjoying the pretty pictures. Yeah, I think if you had the Crystal Skull, uh, sorry, Master of Fear, the story is officially called. Oh, sorry. Uh, If if you'd had Master of Fear without Burns, Mm -hmm. you would have even less than nothing. No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Like, again, so, I'm trying to emphasize this. The Crystal Skull's entire thing is he has a Crystal Skull on a cane, which amplifies people's fears. The end of the story is Dread makes him think of his own fears, which are amplified by his own crystal skull, so that he explodes. Right? Like, so shit. I mean, there's also some bells ringing. You also have to mention the fact the crystal skull, part of what I love is he's got a cane with a crystal skull, and it also looks like his head is a crystal skull for reasons that are unexplained. But I, uh, because of radiation from the apocalypse. It, was that oh, was that his radiation that gave him that? Okay, yes. I thought it was yes. some other family member. But yeah, it's you know, I mean, and and I suppose that's it. Like, there's something that I found endearingly pulpishly stupid about the Crystal Skull, which is to say, the bar is not set high, and the fact that Grant just can't even be arsed to yeah, that, clear that's it. Thing, right? Yeah. It's it's not just that he fails, it's that he doesn't even feel like he's trying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, this is a three-part story where like, it's not even a three-act story. No. It's like an act and a half, maybe, yeah. at best. Mm-hmm. And it's shocking how lazy it is. Mm-hmm. You know, Grant at this point, because this is the, you know, the early 2000s, Grant has been through his, his DC career at mm-hmm. this point. Mm-hmm. You know, but this is a parody of like a 1990s American superhero comic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in 15 or 18 pages, however many pages it is, it somehow manages to have, you know, maybe a page worth of information in it. Mm-hmm. It's it's so bad. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. shockingly, surprisingly bad. Yeah, it, don't, it uh, um, all but feels like. Grant had like a, an outline left over from a Batman scarecrow story or something for detective that he never got a chance to actually sell or had gotten a kill fee for and was like, okay, well, let me just, uh, let me, let me just search and replace some names here and see what I come up with, you know? So just, yeah, I could do something with the crystal skull. Sure. Whatever, whatever fear. But the great thing is, and this is something Dread readers will never see coming um, that I learned in Batman is he's going to turn his fe- turn the fears back on the fearmonger. This is going to be great. Like, um, yep, there we go. Shoo. And how about that? I finished. I think that's the finished fastest. I finished a, a three part script in my life. Well done. Well done, sir. I got to say, I for people who are still actually gutted about uh, the death of Alan Grant, I I really am sorry that we are taking the time to to repeatedly trash him on here. It's not good material here. So. Yeah, like I, Alan Grant has written some great stories. Yeah, this is 
not a good story. Yeah, not, it's yeah, it's you it know, barely the, qualifies the, yeah. as a story. I mean, what yeah. is um, what makes it even worse mm-hmm. is where it falls in the book. Mm-hmm. You and I have talked about how much we are enjoying the the Wagner material in this book, mm-hmm. and Master of Fear comes just before, for my money, the best of the Wagner stories in the book. Mm-hmm. It comes mm-hmm. like immediately for Brothers of Blood. Yeah. You know, I let's okay. Let's hold off on the Wagner stuff. We'll talk about the the um, Rennie stuff yes. first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That um, and good. then we can just really di- dive into the Wagner stuff. Rennie, as I said before, I think had a really good book. He did uh, Gulag with Charlie Adler. Yeah, in two thousand eight. He does Hong Tong in the magazine. Yeah, uh, with Patrick Goddard and Dylan Teague, and then he does Sturm and Dang, which even though the credits of the um, oh, that's right, the, you're like, right. Yeah, that it's Wagner and Cliff Robinson. It's actually Rainey and uh, Carlos Escara. Yes, I love Storm and Dang. I love Gulag, and I think Hong Tong is a mess. Yep, you and I are, are you... on the same page. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And Hong Tong is notably the story that has the Reservoir Dog cover attached. To yeah, it. yep. Um, and if the name sounds terrible, don't worry, the story is too. <laughs> uh, it continues the proud tradition, and I'm using proud sarcastically. Of 2018 magazine material just being, shall we say, slightly racist. Yeah. And filled with Asian stereotypes. Yeah. But this time, Asian stereotype is like John Woo movies. Yes. Which, again, pretty goddamn dated. Um, I mean, honestly, to be fair, there's about four or five levels of Asian stereotype going oh, on no, no. Hong, in the story. Hong Kong is, as yeah. the name suggests, very, very racist. Yeah. So. Um, so, and, and I have to say, as a fan of John Woo, one of the things that also struck me is sort of how poorly the artists, um, catch that, don't really seem to catch that kind of action. Oh, it's, it's, it's kind of amazing, isn't it? Patrick yeah. Goddard and Dylan Teague are almost entirely the wrong artists yep. doing that story. Yep. I their, agree. their work is, is very static and very, mm-hmm. um, visually dull to be honest yeah yeah uh, in a way that like you know if you're thinking let's get a comic artist who can bring a john woo action to the to the comic they're they're the opposite of what you'd think absolutely absolutely um so yeah i, I definitely have to say my um you know graham i got the choice to to uh, say where we were going to be meeting tonight in Mega City One, and I, I chose Gilbert Shelton's Analogs block, but I I almost went with Ted Turner block or John Sturge's block, and both of those are very much uh, related to the fact that Rennie's other, actually, all three of Rennie's pieces have a certain je ne sais, you know, again the proud tradition, dread tradition of this is the movie that was on the telly last night. And, um, and and I just actually think that he does a fabulous job with um, Gulag or, well, I think, I think Gulag is strong, but the classic sort of, you know, ice station zebra, here's a bunch of hard men in the snow stuck on a suicide mission. And it's, and it's, and it goes wrong. It starts bad and it gets worse is great. And then storm and, Sturm and Dang is, I mean, part of it's the fact that Escara is drawing like a madman. Part of it is, again, it feels like a, an excellent movie on the telly because James Coburn is a main supporting character and very well handled here. 
Um, uh, but I gotta say, Storm and Dang is also, I would say, it it's quite possibly my favorite Garth Ennis Judge Dredd story. Um, you know, the fact that it was written by Gordon <laughs> Rennie is probably, like, I was reading it, and I was like, oh, fuck, man, Ennis would have given his eye teeth to write this, because it is a kind of perfect you know, sort of Wagner Grant, like we're doing an action movie, but here is the absurd satirical twist that that is genuinely funny and just just works. Um, of- well, but but also, you know, um, both Sturm and Drang and and Gulag, I think both of them are very Ennis. Yeah, well, of course, you know, I. Mm-hmm. But That's in true. both cases, they're very Ennis as done by Wagner. Which I think it might end up being Rennie's sweet spot. Right. That right. he manages to simultaneously do the fanboyish thing, mm-hmm. but do it in a tone that reads Wagner esque. I think Gulag actually reads very Wagner esque. Oh, very much so. Very much so. He's got some very, um, really lovely clip dialogue in there that's, that, that reads, that to me read really strongly of Wagner. And, and of course, I think Adlard's, you know, kind of, Sort of in the same way that Siku is the worst pick for the story that he ended up with, um, Adlard is is a perfect choice to do Gulag because it's it's tough guys shooting in the snow, and um, mm-hmm. he just he does he ma- he does an exceptionally uh, his very clean story uh, economic storytelling really just pays off perfectly in it. So, yeah, that was. I- I, I should say the um, the James Coburn character mm-hmm. in Storm and Dragon notably is called Coburn. Yes. Uh, it's Cursed Earth Coburn who got spun off into his own strip. Oh, did he after this? Because I have to yep. say, I had that feeling of like, once he was gone, I'm like, if they're smart, they would do more with this character. Uh, of course. Yeah. No. They, yeah. yeah they, they, they spun him off into his own stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense because he really it re- in a way it reads like it. One of the things that is tough is um, well, I have to say again, what helps is the, there as you point out the trope of dread partnering up with his opposite. You know, usually a criminal is is kind of a beloved trope, and it really pops up three times here at least, right? Yeah. Like. You've got it in in Meatmonger. It ends up being Hong Tong, and um, and also here in Storm and Storm and Dong, and um, and it's just uh, it's I, fun. It works. Yeah. Right. Right. Because the, the entire thing is like Dread is such a stickler. Yeah. You exactly. know, Dread, and, and not even a stickler for quote unquote the law anymore, but right. stickler for his internal law. Yeah. So you have someone like Coburn who is. You know, he's still a judge. He's just like, you know, a lazy sort of dry judge who doesn't do everything to dreads um to dreads level. Yeah. And it drives dread insane. Yeah. You know? And that's that's fun to read. Yeah. It it works really well. Also I think um to the extent that there is a problem with Sturm and Dung, uh, I think is the idea that a crucial part of the setup gets kind of um uh, not developed right. It's one of the few times where I think Escara kind of drops the ball weirdly. And, and honestly, I think Rennie doesn't really follow through with it. But the idea is, is that Dread is, it's a hot dog run story. 
you know, Dread is taking mm-hmm. a bunch mm-hmm. of cadets into the cursed earth when essentially, uh, you know, a, a mutant army modeling itself after uh, the Nazis um, begin attacking various uh, outposts. And so it's supposed to be a little bit of that classic Western of you've got your up, upright, uptight sheriff, and then you've got your, you know, guy who's an outlaw who is also, you know, still in his own way believes in the law. Um, and the cadets having a chance to basically see those two and or make choices between them. Like, honestly, I do think that, I mean, Storm and Dying is perfect but I, there is a way where part of me can't help but think that if Wagner was writing it he might have thrown in one more part just so that he could have had the cadets be more of a factor and and to have their action their reactions to dread and coburn matter yeah, more yeah, yeah. you know because yeah, the, the cadets ultimately become props yeah Exactly. And I, and I think Wagner wouldn't, uh, one of his strengths is, is that it's, it's very rare, you know, to, for him to consign someone to pure prop for the most part. So, yeah, but I, I, you know, the hot dog run aspect is another thing that I like very much. Exactly. Honestly, because I just like hot dog runs. Hot dog runs are great. They're, they're great saying for the story. And one of the things that is, again, is rough here. I mean, there's a great section in Storm and Dang where like, Dread more or less gets shot by a tank and is fucked up and is, you know, Coburn has to like take these recruits and piece together the defense that will take care of things. And that could be, uh, again, if it had just a little more room to breathe, you know, but as it is, it's, um, it's really, it's, it's hard. It's hard to complain about. It's, I really, it was, it was my favorite of the three Rennie stories in part. It's yeah, got yeah, Escara's art. So, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, but me too. it's, yeah, it's just got a bunch of the stuff that we like and it didn't, it didn't really cr- drop any balls crucially. Well, and also I, I'm trying to give a nice way of saying it. Like it didn't have to say it's welcome either. Yes. No, exactly. Do you exactly. know what I mean? Like it literally gets in and out really quickly. No, exactly. Like me saying like, Oh, I wish they'd done a little bit more here and a little bit more there is really just, um, uh, I know that I'm more or less inviting disaster just by saying so. Because you're right. Part of what's wonderful about it is it doesn't overstay its welcome. It, it comes. It's over like twenty four pages. Yeah, which yeah. is like honestly kind of amazing. It's it's a one shot issue in American comics. Yeah, right. And and yet covers so much ground, sets up so much stuff, and has so many great scenes. Yeah, really good. Um, yeah, I, I I think the Rennie. You know, we've we've gone back and forth about how we feel about Rennie, but mm-hmm. in, in this volume, at least, like I think Rennie is really, really strong. Even Hong Tong, which I don't think either of us particularly like, mm-hmm. uh, it feels authentically Wagnerish because it's racist in the same ways as the genre. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so it, it's you know there there is that thing of like oh, he he gets maybe not Dread DNA, but Wagner DNA mm-hmm. in a way that I think that that no other, you know, fill-in slash replacement writer managed. Yeah. To this to this point, yeah, I agree. You know? Yeah. Um, and so it's kind of, you know, again, he doesn't read like Wagner on top of his game. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely say that both go like Anstrom and Dying is it feel like, you know, mid-level Wagner. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. No, 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 no. I, I, I would say, yeah, very solidly. Uh, so, um, I, by definitely. No, and there, there's a few I, I, bits and pieces that I, I like in Hong Tong that it's not, it's not, you know, it's not utterly disposable the way that say Master of Fear is, or ultimately sure, Meatmonger sure. ends up being. Yeah, but. You know. Oh no, there's, it 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 has more to it, but you know, not a lot more to it. <laughs> no, not not um, not a lot, and not to counterbalance the more problematic elements of it too. So you know that which is which is a thing. But at the same time, you know, it it keeps the level up, and and it feels, you know, both you and I really do have such an appreciation of Wagner by this point. That even saying someone is as good as mid-level Wagner yes. feels like a big compliment. Abs- oh, absolutely. It's absolutely. Like, as good as like Wagner on an off day, it's saying you're a really fucking good writer. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Certainly here you on Dread, yeah. Um, but then, you know, Wagner is just so fucking good in this book. He really is. is. so fucking good in this book. Yeah. You know, I th- even the, the ones that don't, you know, work... For Wagner, mm-hmm. are still fucking great. Like Sam, yes, is is a dumb throwaway idea. You know, a, a, an artificial intelligent bomb that that basically like stands up for his his owner more than the owner wants him to. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Like is 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 a funny idea, but also there's something about the uh, the situation that the owner's in that he get uses the bomb in the first place. Mm-hmm. Is is a really funny, sharp satire. Yeah, you know, it's like it starts off with workplace bureaucracy satire, like the first page mm-hmm. of like the system is like you you can't beat the system. Yeah, the system is proud of the ways they have come up with to fuck you. Yep, exactly. You know, even before you get to the bomb mm-hmm. in the story about the bomb, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you have this great like one page joke about oh no, the system exists to think of new ways to not serve the people it's supposed to be serving. Yeah. yeah. You know? Or um, Finger of Suspicion. Again, it's a stupid story. Yeah. It's a story about someone who has... Uh, did his finger... Is, his finger broke? Or something happened to him that his fingers are basically stuck giving the finger to everyone. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, and, you know, as you might expect, that leads to people being unhappy. And the punchline is... He ends up give, flicking the V's at everyone because his other finger gets broken as well. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's dumb. It's such a stupid joke. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But like, it's done with such uh, shamelessness. Yeah, and honestly, like Cam Kennedy's art is so fun for it. Yeah, yeah. That it feels like a really good like sketch or sketch. No, exactly. No, you know? I I think it, all of all like all of Wagner's done in ones here work for me his multiple parts are good i mean like one of course there's the one that's great and then there's the one that's good but like all of his little one shots and i mean and it even includes like god help us you know a a kidnapping occurring to try and throw the sex olympics games like you know just like wagner is going for just crazily shticky comedy in each of his his one shots um and and it and it just delivers 
I mean, that's yeah, like, ultimately like Sh- Shakedown. Yeah. Is, again, just a series of shaggy dog stories about mm. the judges are going after one block, and so everyone in the block who knows they've broken the law is trying to basically swap their incriminating evidence yeah. with someone else. It's great. Like, it, it is. It's so fun. It's mm-hmm. such a stupid idea. Right. Almost all of the comedy things are based around like one genuinely stupid idea mm-hmm. that the strip commits to. Yes. In such a way that it becomes charming. Yeah. You know, uh, the good man, the Christmas special as well. Oh God. Good man is great. I really liked it. Part of it, of course, is, is that fucking Jim Murray's art on it is Jim Murray's art. And, and that's so good. Phenomenal. Like yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's really blindingly good. Yeah. But also there is something that is um, at once an inversion of what you expect from Christmas story mm-hmm. because, you know, the, the twist is dread discovers the milk of human kindness and still arrests because his dread, he's dread. Right. But it's, it's done with such, um, I don't know, lack of sentimentality, even mm-hmm. though I, I think Wagner is a sentimental writer, mm-hmm. but it's, it's done in such a way that you just like keep reading you're just like yeah this is great right like i i want to see where the story is going next you know absolutely i 100 percent believe that dread has discovered a selfless good man mm-hmm. and can't let himself accept that yeah right you know there's something great about that he sees someone who he himself says doctor teacher mentor the man devotes himself to these mutants with selfless i haven't seen since the academy and his first instinct is suspicion. <laughs> you know? Like, I love that. I genuinely love that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it's an inversion of the Christmas story that you expect for the Christmas issue. Yeah, very much which, so. Which Wagner owns up to mm-hmm. at the, in the last panel. Yeah. Which is Dread having arrested two people and shouting, I am the law. And one of them's going, and a Merry Christmas to you too. <laughs> You know, like it's, it's, there's, it feels like Wagner is having fun with Dread. Yeah. In these one shots, in a way that I'm not sure he's been doing for a while. Yeah, that, uh, that could be, that could be. I mean, for me, of course, I have to tell you again, the, the special sauce for me with Wagner is the, is the craft. You know what I mean? Like there's times where he's having a good time. There's times where he may not be having a good time. But like to me, if he takes the the thing that I actually really like about The Good Man is since it is a Christmas story that was done for um, one of their their special end of the year progs, I guess. Right. Um, it, yeah. it it it. It has some more space to it, and so it's not just kind of a. Um, there's actually a pretty decent action sequence in the middle that is that the artist draws the shit out of, but has you know has a little more thought put into it than just the, oh yeah you know uh, Dread's going to have a shootout with these guys and come out on top. You know, there's like this crazy factor of like, there's a guy basically tied to, you know, some a cross between a mechanical bull and the Green Goblin's uh, glider. Um, 
out of control and the way in which he zigs and zags and the context of the scene is constantly changing is great. Like you said, Sam, the, one of the things that's wonderful about Sam is the fact that, uh, you know, like you said, the very first page has ridiculous amounts of, of detail where the, the guy who's come in hasn't even come to the right office, but hearing the office of bureaucratic planning that comes up with all the ways and reasons to screw over people just to save the city money and the open glee that they take in it is kind of, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, there's nothing there's, you know, again, that I think this is the thing that's sad. I can see a way in which Wagner and Grant as a team, part of what, worked so well for them was I think the ways in which they made each other laugh and you know would kind of bounce that idea just that one extra step to take it kind of inspired but I also feel like maybe for lack of a better term like Grant was good about kind of knowing when to take his foot off the gas which Wagner sometimes needs um, and you know, Wagner, by contrast, kind of kept Grant from just kind of taking the easy way out every time, you know, because I really get that sense in, in unless something went dramatically wrong behind the secret origin of the Crystal Skull. It just feels like Grant, like you said, is contractually fulfilling his contractual obligations. And that obligation really is to show up, pick up a check and get paid for it, preferably for three progs instead of one. Um, You know, but Wagner, even though, even though Sam is just a done in one or similarly finger of suspicion is done the same. He, he takes the time to come up with the material that takes it a step beyond. It's not just the fact that, that Sam, the, the automated bomb ends up taking over the hostage negotiations. It's that at one point he more or less flummoxes dread dreads only way of getting around it is more or less to, um, a capitulate in a way that makes the bomb gives the bomb no choice, but to surrender, you know, and it's just, it's all, it's all, it's an example of, I think Wagner, really understanding wit, you know what I mean? Like that, that there's gotta be a lot, there's gotta be cleverness. You've got to put some thought into wit. And then, and then to the other half is you have to make it look really easy. So it's just delightful. And I feel like he, he delivers on that so well here. And Mm -hmm. he's so in his element that I think his, his other pieces which are not necessarily funny, but the longer pieces of uh, Cincinnati and Brothers of the Blood are both feel kind of charmingly effortless, I think, for yeah. me. Yeah. So... Cincinnati is, is such a... I really like Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Cincinnati is a, a relatively short story, so it only yeah. three chapters. Um, but it is, again, it's almost a shaggy dog story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like for all that it, it happens in terms of plot. 
Yeah. You know, Cincinnati's not a particularly um, in-depth story. It's not no. a, a particularly like weighty or twisty story. Mm-hmm. You know, Dredd and 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 his fellow judges are looking for someone and they find him. It's essentially it. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's something about the 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 way that Wagner tells that story mm-hmm. that makes it feel again effortless, like you're saying, but also far more um intense and and suspenseful yeah than yeah. anything that anyone else manages in this book yeah yeah you know it it feels like it starts with things having already happened and being very important yes you know like like immediately mm-hmm. because it starts with the judges are landing in Cincinnati looking for this guy, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't even get the reason why until the end of the, the serial. Yes. Until the third chapter. Yeah. You just know that like, it's very important that the judges are looking for this guy and the other people don't necessarily want them to find him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's done with such, um, such speed, but also such focus. Yeah. That Wagner gives you just enough information to get you really invested, mm-hmm. but also enough so that when he does the twist in the final chapter, mm-hmm. you're perfectly set up for it. Yeah, yeah, you're perfectly set up for it. Yeah, no, it's it's it. Cincinnati is amazing. Again, it's just provides a terrific um, playground for the artist uh, Carl Cricto to do some just tremendous work but but it's also just kind of like if you if you asked me to take you know three things like basically someone's like hey here's an idea how would you like to read a comic uh in which essentially you've got you know dashiell hammett's red harvest by way of escape from new york and the road warrior and i'm like are you kidding? I would love that, but there's no way you could pull it off. And then you read it and you're like, Oh yeah. Oh, fuck. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. it just, yeah. just, and I think, and I think that again is one of those things that I think is fun. A little bit like we were alluding to the other episode where, you know, God help me where, you know, you've got dread fighting off farts, you know, the alien farts. Mm-hmm. And yet it really does, take the beats from a 50s science fiction invaders from space movie and and play with that but also know the the beats to throw in so doing all of that and then just ending it with that sort of typical um wagner satirical twist at the end of why these judges are after this one guy so much so that they've set three turned three gangs upon one another to flush him out is um you know it's it's just it's just satisfying it's just yeah and and it's it's such again it's done with such seriousness is the wrong word mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. but it's done with such sincerity i guess yeah yeah that you don't get you you are perfectly set up for the twist at the end mm-hmm. but you also don't see it coming at mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. uh you like i said it's a three-part story Dread is hunting for this guy. Interestingly enough, it follows the, the Christmas story where Dread is also like hunting for a guy. Right, in you the know? cursed earth. Um, well, although uh, Cincinnati's but, Yes. Yeah. Sorry. You no. Know, um but you you meet the character that they're searching for in the second part, and the third part opens with 
that character's flashback as to why he's being hunted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it plays um, it plays straight. It plays entirely straight. You believe it. Right. Right. And it, and it also plays as a very dramatic moment. Mm-hmm. Right. It plays as a very dramatic moment. He, you know, in that flashback, he's killed Hershey. Right. Or at least, like, seriously wounded her. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, shit. Right. Like, no wonder they're hunting this guy. Yeah. Like, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. He's really fucked with the chief judge. Oh, God. Like, that's, right. that's a game changer. Yep. Um, and so to get to the end where it's like, well, no, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just don't see it coming. Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, Dredd's turned three gangs on each other in Cincinnati to get this guy. He's literally destroyed $10,000. Yeah. Or sorry, 10,000 creds or whatever mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in the search for this. Because money is no object to get this guy. So, you know, like you you read it as serious. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Completely. Right. No. And then, it's, yeah. then, then there's this twist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's just, it's, it's perfectly done. It's perfectly done. Yeah. It is, it's a masterclass in how to uh, not only build tension, but also how to utterly divert the reader's attention. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that, I would say that's exactly right. One of the things that I really like about Cincinnati is Wagner gives you a reason to, to keep reading every page right up until the last page, you know? And yes, very much. And so I, I really do think that that is um, just kind of perfect in its construction. And I do want to say it's kind of ironic considering I, I uh, insisted we meet at Gilbert Shelton's analog block. I don't know if you realize the reason for uh, our, our meeting choice, but I, I did not. And I would love for you to explain. I, I shall. Shakedown is, I think, another sort of Wagner staple, which um, he's done this a few other times, uh, which is essentially him doing kind of a crime farce, for, for lack of a better term, where the judges have had enough of, of what is it Paradise Heights, the mega block, and, and are essentially doing a crackdown all 65,000 citizens are being locked in the building essentially and the judges are going from apartment to apartment it's 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 all it's almost like the um the movie dread you know inside out um and wagner being wagner as he's done in the past he has um four well three and a half um interconnected stories in the sense of you've you've got you know a pair of kidnappers um you've got uh Homer and uh the lady in black whose name I forget Una Blint Una Blint exactly Ula Blint um currently on a, a euthanasia rampage uh and then you've got um three druggies in an apartment who are trying to figure out they can't bring themselves to get rid of their stimulant which i believe is sugar <laughs> I, I, yeah i see exactly where you're going yeah exactly and 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 then the the next door neighbors next to them who they end up performing an unfortunate swap with um those 
those three stoners in the apartment are analogs for the fabulous furry freak brothers, which I thought was, was very clever. So, um, seeing them in there and being like, Hey, wait a minute. Are they? And they are, is just, um, whereas I think anyone else, uh, writing dread, I think would have made a, bigger deal of that as we can see by the by the fact that dread hooks up with a character named johnny woo to kick ass in hong tong um you know it's it's pretty easy to overlook the freak brothers uh and their unfortunate end in part because there's three or four other stories happening at the same time and each one goes oh gosh i even forgot about the the rebels the um the actual uh, anti-judge um, faction in the building that are in the process mm-hmm. of trying to, you know, decide whether to escape or attack the judges. So it's, you know, it's, it's again, it's sort of, uh, it's crime farce. It's, it's almost like um, the towering inferno. If instead of a fire, you had the judges and instead of Steve McQueen, you had the fabulous furry freak brothers. How can you go wrong? And again, Wagner puts way more work and craft into that than I feel, God bless, a a lot of people, I think, working on Dread are still learning kind of that's, that's kind of what you have to do, you know, in a way. Like, you can put tons and tons and tons and tons of work into it, and if you're lucky, you can come off as, um, you know, Wagner on an off day. You know, whereas Wagner in his off day here might be something like Shakedown or, again, Crime of Passion, which is a one-off about a kidnapping from somebody who's trying to throw the Sex Olympics and is, again, you know, just why I think Wagner is, is uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say it because I don't even know who else might compete, but the pre-eminent, uh, um, Paradist of sports casting, sports casting announcing. Like, I just don't. It is clear that Wagner loves taking the piss out of people who do the announcing at sports casts. And he does it, it's always pitch perfect, even when it's something as ridiculous as the Sex Olympics. And weirdly ends up lending that story. Which again, kind of like the story of the guy who's got his middle finger stuck in the out position and can't bend it, um, you know, just a, a, a phenomenal commitment to the bit that really makes the story pay off. Yeah, it, it's he is. I thought when you were saying like, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I thought you were going to say like, you know, Wagner is probably, I mean, almost certainly one of the leading comic book writers still working today. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I mean, but then I, you're like, no, he's just really good at parodying sports guys. Well, I, I just think, I just think that it, I, I just realized at a certain point, like back, way back with with when the fatty stories were such a thing, which I was just like, I do not dig this. And at a certain point, I'm like, oh, but his writing of the sports announcements for shit like this, or you know, darts or whatever stupid sport he comes up with, he will figure out a way to perfectly mimic how sportscasters talk 
with ridiculous amounts of uh, hyperbole and um, pseudo-knowledge about the world's most ridiculous things. And uh, yeah. it's, it just does a great... It's so much fun to read. It's yeah. so much joy to read. Exactly. Exactly. And so this was just such a really incredibly fun volume. I don't feel like there was a lot of... Sometimes you get, you know, very down-dread, you know what I mean? And this... This was a, this was a pretty fun upbeat volume that didn't that didn't feel disposable the way that sometimes a lot of non self-contained stories uh or non-continuing stories do. Like really honestly I would say I mean Master of Fear ties up a thing that we don't that nobody cared about ever really, but you know, Brothers of the Blood, which I guess is our last real story to sort of talk about, is the is really the only one that sort of runs with any kind of quote unquote larger dread continuity. And right? I love Brothers of the Blood. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I think it is I it's it's one of my favorite dread stories ever, I gotta mm-hmm. be honest. Mm-hmm. It's there's so much about what I love about dread in it. Mm-hmm. For want of a better way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um I, I think, you know, putting aside the Iskara's art's amazing in it. You know, yes. in, in the past we've talked about Iskara's ability to draw Judge Rico as a younger Dread who is not Dread. Mm-hmm. You know, bringing in an even younger clone. Yes. And he still manages to, to differentiate them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, he's just showing off at this point, you know? Like, he really is. Yeah. But, um... I think writing wise, I think Brothers of Blood is just is just such a joy. Mm-hmm. I I love Dolman as a character. Mm-hmm. I, the idea is that there is a younger clone of Dread who is recognizably Dread mm-hmm. like Enrico, but has enough of a difference mm-hmm. to question the system and not want to be part of it. You know, like I really like that. I like that. Even with that twist, Wagner then lets him go. He comes alive in the streets. Yeah, he understands when he's being a judge. This is what he's meant to be. Mm-hmm. Like I love that. There's no, you know, dramatic rejection of that when yes. he's put in that role. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like the the idea. I I should explain for people who are not reading along. Brothers of the Blood. The plot is, as I said, there's a younger Dread clone called Dolman who is still a cadet and has, has requested to leave the Academy of Law and, and no longer be trained as a judge. They bring Rico in to basically spend 24 hours with him and, and see whether he's genuine, but also to change his mind. And in the course of those 24 hours, Rico introduces Dolman, not only to Dredd um, uh, on the streets as, as they, you know, they have a mission together, but he also introduces Dredd, uh, Dolman to Vienna. Mm-hmm. It's niece who, you know, we last saw being brainwashed and trying to kill Judge Dredd. That's right. Um, and it is, it feels very much like, again, it feels very, it feels effortless. Mm-hmm. It feels easy, mm-hmm. but it also feels like Wagner's almost taking this like quiet victory lap. Oh, yeah. For his, for his character writing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In that you do get to see the shades of grey in Dread's portrayal, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, because Rico is, for all intents and purposes, younger Dread, mm-hmm. 
and Dredd is no longer that man. And mm-hmm. you get to see the difference there. But you also get to see Vienna having far more of a personality than she's ever had before. Mm-hmm. Um, as a reasonable common sense alternative mm-hmm. to the justice system. And as someone who, um, unlike I think every other citizen we've seen to this point, is neither like cowed by the system or or in opposition to it. Mm-hmm. But it just doesn't believe in it, but also it doesn't want to tear it down. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels like, it feels like she is is now, uh, you know, personifying a new position for citizens in in Mega City One, mm-hmm. in in writing. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but you get Dolman, who is the determination of dread and stubbornness of dread, mm-hmm. and the belief I, of. The confidence, you know, the belief in themselves, mm-hmm. of, but hasn't applied it to the justice system. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, it feels it. I don't know. It, it, again, it feels like a victory lap. It feels like he's showing off mm-hmm. that he's able to do all of this in this wonderfully, you know, almost free flowing five parter. I, I love it. I love this story. Yeah. I I think one of the things that I think is um, so uh, kind of breathtaking about it is how much um, how Wagner is so assured, I think, in his characters and the setting and where everything, everyone is. Like one of the things that is wonderful in, in the story is, you know, Rico has um Morla is called in in part because he had had noticed Dolman at the academy and more or less taken him under the wing and sort of unofficially kind of mentored him and so the academy sees him as an opportunity to to you know step in and and steer Dolman straight that is something that you basically just, you know, are caught up on a page of exposition on or something of a flashback. But 100% feels so solidly in Rico's character. Mm-hmm. You know, Rico is not suspicious in uh, of, I guess, human interaction in a way that you start to wonder if Dread really might be. Mm-hmm. Um as you point out, the, the last time we saw Vienna, she was the the victim and and barely even a real character in a Hammer movie pastiche that we both ended up enjoying, um, even as we felt it was doing a disservice to her. Here, as she is someone who is, in theory, re- recovering from the trauma, we find out that Rico has been visiting her regularly as part of her therapy but that also means that they have a bond that feels absolutely 100% genuine like you said she does not have views on the justice department that you know were you know that that fall into any of the easy categorical slots in fact one of the things that's great about it i would argue is is the fact that you realize how much of vienna's problems where exactly, as she said, her problem is with Dredd and how he failed her personally, 
you know, and her ability and discernment to treat Rico and Dolman as entirely different individuals that she can have entirely different relationships with. The, the thing about Brothers of the Blood, which is great because it just sounds like such the pulp adventure title, is this is really about Wagner pulling back the sheet and being like, hey, guess what? Dredd's got a family now, and he's got a family that we don't even necessarily see him participate in, but seeing how everyone, each member of that family talks about him and interacts with him makes you aware that it's a far more organic world um, going on than you, that, than, that you get to see. And, and it's, it's really kind of, in that sense, I think it's extraordinary. I'm also a big fan of Brothers of the Bloodgram because I feel it 100% validates my theory about dread. Um, and, and also which, about theory, which of the many theories is that? Uh, which is that essentially dread is Mega City's one's most uh, prominent, su- successful uh asexual you know he's he's an ace rico's an ace the fact that dolman rejects the academy because he might want kids or a family he's 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 not asexual and and i think one of the things that's doubly delightful about that last page is again how wagner toys like toys with your expectations in the course of the last page when you finally see Dolman's face and you're like, oh shit, the dime is dropped. I'm seeing Dredd's face. And then the the little psych out on that. On top of it, it's also got, you know, Vienna brings along a friend more or less, you know, for story purposes to chain trade exposition with, but also because she's like, mm, he's pretty good looking you know yeah, he's a bit of all right yeah yeah he's a bit of all right and so just this idea that he is he he literally at the end of the story is a real person and what that means in many ways is that he is able to see and be seen as sexually is uh, is to me like that huge validation for my theory that that dreads Dredd's mastery um, comes in a part from his sort of asexual clonality, as it were, um, and yeah, seeing I, the I, transcends that. Yeah, one of the, one of the the joys about this isn't just the Dredd's family, although I think that's honestly what the story's about. Mm-hmm. More than it's about Dolman, more than it's about Rico. Also, I mean, we should talk, talk about Dredd. Barely appears in this serial. Yeah, like Dredd is very much a background in the serial. It's just that everyone's talking about Dread the entire time. Exactly. But Dread himself only appears in, the, in very minimal form. Yep, yep. Um, but I love that you see how the clones are different here as well. Absolutely. Rico is far more laid back. Rico understands the benefit of having interpersonal relations. That's right. You know, like, um, Vienna offers Rico tea. Mm-hmm. And you see Rico, like, smile and make fun of Dolman for saying it's against regulations. Right. Exactly. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's funny because, you know, uh, Rico, the original Rico, Dredd's clone brother Rico. Right. Right. 
you know, broke reg- regulations and had relationships mm-hmm. and, and did indulge in vices. And that was seen as being like proof that he was, you know, corrupt, proof that he would, he was, he'd right. gone bad. Exactly. And this Rico is to an extent following in those footsteps, but doing so in such a small, small way mm-hmm. that you see that it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. You see that it's good for him. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it does, without Wagner perhaps even intending this, it sort of suggests that maybe Dredd's the one that got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe Dredd's the one who was who went, maybe not bad, but but went too far. Well, no, exactly. I mean, I think I think that I I absolutely agree that that one of the things you know, there's that really lovely earlier story where Dredd takes. Rico out on on a run and tests him and one of the things that he says is like I'm sure you spent a lot of time wondering like you know essentially am am I are are our genes bad like we've had Rico we've had Craig and you know like how is is the problem in in our it's, yeah it's in us literally in us and and Dread talks sort of talks um, Rico sort of through it, and what's it, one of the great things about that sequence, of course, is you don't really get much of a feedback from Rico, and you really do realize this is this is also Dread's way. Like I think Dread, perhaps because, and this is this is finally you know, 40 some odd volumes, thousands and thousands of pages. I really don't feel like it's, um, you know, reading too much or kind of, um, uh, um, I don't know, like over investing in the characters to be like, Oh yeah, I think there's a really good case to be made that Wagner has pointed out that essentially dread only had Rico and he only trusted Rico and essentially Rico went bad. And there's a case to be made that dread really never can. I mean, he can, he, there are people that he trusts, but no one will ever really be close to dread. He can never, he just, he doesn't, he's never grown that capacity, you know, 40 years in or whatever well, um it's, it's like dread was traumatized by rico breaking bad right yeah exactly it's it, that that actually like really fucked dread up exactly to the point where he 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 himself you know in that earlier story he is working at the idea of like well is there something in the is there something yeah. in the because right. he's asking himself like am i also going to do this right exactly my exactly. brother disappointed me am i going like it is that within me yeah you know and it's just that wagner manages to uh, dramatize this and also have dread project because mm-hmm. you have this clone mm-hmm. concept mm-hmm. but but you see Rico interact with Dolman here, and also you see Dolman have these questions of isn't there more yeah, like I was literally bred to be trained as a judge, yep, why can't I be more yeah in a way that like Rico never had those concerns mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know. Dread didn't have those concerns, but, right. but Dolman does. You see that they are individuals, right? They share base characteristics, mm-hmm. but in a weird way, it's almost as if Rico, the second Rico, the Rico that that is in this story, mm-hmm. um, 
Rico is the is well adjusted dread. Rico's dread if, if the original Rico hadn't hadn't right. gone bad. Right. You know? Right. And then Dolman is Dolman is given the space and given permission to go further. Right. Because Rico allows him to. Yeah. I think I think there's absolutely a very good case for that. That dread gives Rico to the space to have the comfort and the confidence to be himself and not have it be, uh, you know, am I bad? No, I can, I can be good. I can be whoever I want. And that taking that stage of, I can be whoever I want to the next stage. So the Dolman is, is sorry, I guess I should say that, that Judd, that Rico too, basically is like, I can be whatever judge I want to be. I don't have to be dread. I don't have to be Rico one. I can be my own judge. And he passes on that freedom to Dolman to be like, I don't even need to be a judge. I can mm-hmm. be another person. Like, you know, even though you see him doing a brilliant job on the streets, even though you see him loving it and you have Wagner talking about how much all of it is that same feeling that Rico and Kraken and Dredd have all talked about of being on the streets and finally feeling like they have found their place you know doing what they're meant to be doing Dolman feels all of that and at the end rejects it as he says for a matter of principle. And that principle is just, he's not a machine. You know, he really, he is going to be the, the, and, and this is, I think this is the part that of course is kind of wonderful this far down the road, but also kind of incredibly encouraging um, to see is that Wagner's whole has 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 shifted things around so that the the whole point of dread isn't to create the world's most perfect law per- man you know it's the idea that you can actually finally ultimately create a real person out of all of that mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's... we 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 see that um mm-hmm. And well, okay. Before I move on to what I was going to say, it, right. the one thing I do like in this is that, that is really a moment that I keep coming back to. Besides Rico, I mean R- Rico, even introducing Dolman to Vienna, yes, feels like very important. Yeah, right, absolutely. It, it's proof that, like you know, uh, Rico is aware of the value of family and is the value of the personal relations. I love that Rico makes a point of telling Dolman, "Oh, he liked you when he's talking about Dread." Yes. Mm-hmm. Like he makes a point of saying that, yeah, yeah. Uh, because again, Rico has a social skill mm-hmm. that Dread does not, and perhaps never will. That's right. Um, what I was going to say is, it's you know, we say all this, and then Dolman is in the end is not free, right? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. doesn't leave the academy, and he's a free man. Right. He says, "I'm being sent to the colony in Columbus. There's a school there for the Space Corps." Right. So, like, they let him leave the, the, the Academy of Law, but he doesn't get to be a civilian. Well, no, not immediately. They do say, because then they're like, after that, he's like, I don't know. 
And um, I thought that that was also an interesting choice, although I think it sort of makes sense. The idea that essentially just because Dolman isn't going to be a judge, he doesn't necessarily know anything else. He is kind of being shipped out. And again, like he did, you know, have the thrill of being on the streets and dispensing justice and, mm-hmm. and you know, that. So it, it makes sense in, in terms of that as well. I just find it fascinating that he, does, he doesn't say, I'm going to the colony. There's a school there. For it's I'm being sent. Yes. It's the I'm being sent that I, I just kind of love. Mm-hmm. Because it's the idea of, like, you can be, you can be free to an extent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You can do what you want. To an extent, right, right. But but again, you know, they've spent a lot of time and money mm-hmm. making Dolman, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? You know, so they're like, yeah, yeah, no, no, you you can join the space corps instead. That's that's not being a judge, right? You know, and he, again, he he does say like he he gets billeted with a real family, like mm-hmm. he gets he does get that social interaction. He does get the the freedom of not you know being a, a law monk like all the judges have to be, right. But it's it's just I love that they're like no 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 you're still working for us, yeah, yeah it's true, it's true, yeah there is there is something there, um you know it is not, it, and I think that is one of those things that it I think you can forgive um. In, oh, in I'm a... not complaining. I actually really like it. No, 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 no. Sorry, I know. I, I mean, forgive the. For me, like there are times when I was reading this story where they're like, you know, they keep putting dread clones out on the street, and or they keep, you know, putting them because, again, he comes from Fargo. He is he's prized stock, and but there is a. One of the things I think is interesting is, that is the none of them really do question whether or not the the powers that be are right to do so, have the right to do so. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, everyone just kind of takes it as a fait accompli, and I and I think there is there's something that's lovely to that too that there's a way in which they, at least so far, they're really only capable, like Dolman's ability to, to, to question the status quo really does only go so far, you mm-hmm. know? And, and, and to be fair, you know, the status quo, you know, despite all of their various, like, yeah, put him out on the street, that'll convince him, and introduce him to Dread, that'll convince him, and, oh, yeah, if you take him away, don't let him sit alone by himself for too long, you know, you don't want him to have second thoughts kind of thing. Like, everyone kind of has a little bit of a vested interest in it, you know, that that but at the same time saying, like, well, but it's your choice. And to be fair, it they they do honor that. But they also tilt the game pretty heavily against Dolman in that regard. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I really like that. Um, I like that ending. I like the idea that it's not as simple as it seems. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and I you think know, I, I think that's right. I I just I think it's I I love Dolman as a character. Mm-hmm. I think Dolman is such a complicated character. Mm-hmm. In in this one strip, you know, 
Right. In this one appearance, Dolman is such a complicated character. Mm-hmm. Uh, and adds a lot of depth to everyone around him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That I just, like, I love it. I genuinely love it. And again, one of the things that is wonderful about Wagner's characterization is he and Rico and Dredd, just like Escara, are all the same, but they're all different. And 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 the fact that that is able, sort of in the same way that Escara is able to do that with the illustrations, Wagner's able to do that so that no matter whose viewpoint the narrator is um, telling, uh, it's 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 all similar enough. You know what I mean? And that, yeah, no, it's just it's 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 kind of a triumph in a lot of ways. I think for Wagner's dread storytelling on dread, you know, there is a there is a wonderful moment uh, in the narration where I couldn't tell if it was Rico or Dread. Oh yeah. There, there's a page where I'm fairly sure it's read, mm-hmm. uh, where the narration talks about how he checked the scores and seen that Rico was better than him. Mm. Mm-hmm. But it is left slightly nebulous. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because because of Wagner is now writing the captions in a in third person. Yes, exactly. Right? You can't tell if it's from Rico's point of view and he's thinking, he's basically projecting what Dredd thinks. Yes. Or if it's from Dredd's point of view. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you don't quite get, has Dredd checked the stats and found Mm -hmm. out that Rico is faster? Yes. Or has Rico checked the stats and found Mm -hmm. that Rico is faster? Yep, 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 yep. That's right. You know, which one of them is feeling better that when slash if Dredd goes... Mm. that there will be someone to protect the city. That is so like, funny. I was sure that it was dread, but you're right. You're right. Yeah. Like I lo- I love that. I genuinely love that. Mhm. Mm-hmm. That you can't quite tell. Yeah. who it is. Yeah. Mm. Because I love the idea that I love the idea that it could be Rico to be honest. Mhm. I think mm-hmm. there's something really really fun about Rico is quietly comparing himself to dread. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know? you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I, I think Brothers of the Blood is such a, a fun story. Mm-hmm. So, I, and, and so full of. It's such a strange thing to say about a dread story, but it's so full of compassion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know that it that it's 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 thrilling. Yeah. Well, because it is. It's very. It's very, very quietly humanistic. You know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, and that, and I think that that is uh, not only is it really kind of great and kind of uh, mm, it's it's rare to see anything so uh, so ventricle adorned uh, get near to a sleeve um, in 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 Wagner's stories normally, but I think I think also it's just. It's the kind of hand that most comic writers tend to overplay. And mm-hmm. I and I really do love that Wagner brings a lot of um he 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 underplays it. He keep, he keep he keeps the heat dial down on it. Mm-hmm. And in a way that just brings out the that makes brings it does exactly what it's supposed to i think you the reader end up feeling 
bringing a lot more warmth to it because you don't feel like you're being spoon fed. Um, you're not, you're not being told what to think. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, so yeah, what a good story. And of course, Escara's art. Oh my God. Escara. Yeah. Escara is just so good. One of the things I really like about Escara's art in this is not just the way he draws the different, like he draws Dolman, and Rico and, and Dredd as convincingly different ages of the same person. Mm-hmm. But um, I like that he draws Vienna. I don't know. Vienna has a, a specificity to her mm-hmm. uh, that A, I think she liked before, but also she has an age to her. Yes. That feels right. Because again, like, you know, the dread strip's been going on for, at this point, you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. Vienna is has got to be at least in her mid to late 20s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and probably more than that because, you know, Rico was coming back for, from Titan. Right, right. You know, so she's probably in her mid-30s and she looks like that. Very much so. I would, say, I would say before, she looked sort of generic comic book female age, yep. which honestly is, is early 20s. Yep, yep. You know, and, and I feel that I feel that Iskara manages to make her convincingly her age. Oh, very much so. Well... I think what's great is it splits the difference. There's a little bit of the, she quote unquote looks her age slash because she is still more or less recovering from a major trauma. It makes sense that she would look a little tired and a little, um, you know, and, and which is ironic because even though Rico's saying like, yeah, you know, this helps her with her therapy. And yet, of course, by the time of the last page, she's got another friend. She's the one who, of course, it, she seems perfectly well adjusted, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's uh, it, it really was that that I thought was also lovely was the idea that you really do end up having, you know, Vienna does seem she's clearly older than Rico. She's clearly older than Dolman, you know, and 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 everything just lines up perfectly. No, it's just it's one of those things where everything just seems um, almost perversely perfectly executed in a way that, um, you know, doesn't always happen with Dread. I I no. I love I love Dread. But, you know, thanks to the, the miracle of 2000 AD, the weekly, you know, weekly comic, plus additional stories in the magazine, you know, you it's, thank God Siku wasn't assigned to draw this. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure that, of course, the editors <laughs> definitely had an idea. I'm sure Wagner probably wanted Escara to work on it since Escara had done the other Rico stories and this is such a perfect continuation of that but um, but it really is just everything comes together uh, in a way that just makes it um, yeah like look looking at the story it's what's wonderful about it is how it's you know it's not it's not slight, but what's wonderful about it is all the stakes are internal and, <clears throat> you know, one would say there's, it's hard to imagine a story with lower stakes than trying to, you know, ask the reader to be invested in whether or not a character we've just met leaves the Academy or not, 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet it ends, it's perfect because it's such a perfect way. It's such a perfect way to, um, tell us, tell us a judge dread story, tell a story about judge dread, where, as you point out, dreads barely in it, but he is absolutely permeates every character. Um, yeah, yeah. Thoroughly. And that, and, and it's, and it's a, it's, it's just Jesus! What an achievement! Yeah, know? it's it's such a good story. Moving on, but I I think we've I think we've made it quite clear that we think this volume is Drock and not Dross. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I enjoyed it qu- uh, quite a lot. I mean, I, I I think it's it's kind of you know we we've had the we've had the volumes where we're like oh this this isn't really much anymore, mm-hmm. but like you have to have gone through twenty five years of the strip to do a Brothers of the Blood successfully. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. part of it is you have to have you have to have a relationship with Dread. Right. right. Right? In order to have in order to fully comprehend these other characters' relationships with Dread. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um I just I think this volume's really, really great. Yeah. When Wagner is is on and he I really do think he is on in this volume, you you can get a story like this that is so, you know, sort of smart and thoughtful and plays so well with all the pieces that have been put into play. And it doesn't seem like it's, you know, but you also, you also have the guy who's basically crafted an entire story around a dude who, who is, who can't stop flipping people off, you know, or, Mm -hmm. or a, a kidnapping at the sex Olympics. It's just, you know, Wagner, amazingly enough, is able to tell all those, to have all those stories within him and bring a level of care and craft when he's got the time and the energy and the focus um, that that makes them all worthwhile to read. You know what I mean? Like, I, I love Brothers of the Blood, and it's definitely my favorite story in the volume. But I would be really hard pressed to pick my second favorite Wagner story in here because they're all quite good, you know. I, I was I was literally about to ask you that. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I don't know. I'm tempted to say. Oh gosh. Uh. I mean, to me, Sam's right up there. The Good Man, in part because I think The Good Man's art is just fucking phenomenal. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, I think, I think I am going to go with the good man, I think would be my second favorite. Cause I think it's a, it's an excellent little done in one. It's very much a, a dread thing. It's, it's got a whole bunch of things that I like from, from in dread, but mm-hmm. yeah, that would be my second favorite Wagner. How about you? I'm going for Finger of Suspicion, which is just stupid enough. Stupid, great. Well, and again, it's it's Camp Kennedy. Like, it's so great. And then what would you pick as your favorite non-Wagner story in here? Storm and Drang. Yep. Storm, Storm, Storm and Dang. Storm and Dang. Again, just the genius of having the, the, the mutants, like, have all the German cliched phrases and yet malapropisms malaprop each one of them is like i'm shocked by how basic that joke is and how much it never got old for me 
uh, in Stormendang. That was n- never failed to 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 make me smirk. Um, yeah, so. it's it's just just such a funny. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just such a funny story. Um, yeah, it really is. You know, I I would say there are two bad stories in this volume. Meatmonger yeah. and, and Master of Fear. Because even Hong Tong is, which is not good. Like, yeah. it's also, like, it's far better than Master of Fear or Meatmonger. Well, know yeah, I mean? exactly. Exactly. It, it, it is this weird thing where you're like, okay, but somehow still better. And Master mm-hmm. of Fear is clearly the worst thing. I think you'd agree with me on that, right? Oof. You know, honestly, no. Really? I... Is Meatmonger get it just because they aren't? Yeah, exactly. John John Burns doing the art means that Master of Fear has to get bumped up. Absolutely, one hundred percent, a worse story. But I I loved looking at it, and I'll tell you, there's also a little bit of business that Grant puts in there where one of the judges is razzing the the side judge for not spot, you know, uh, detecting the booby traps or whatever. And he was like, "Oh, look at that! I should be the side judge." Where I actually thought that that little bit of business with the two judges who were trying to find Red and end up just getting trapped on a bridge by themselves was, that, was entirely enjoyable. Um, yeah, yeah. I can you see know, that. yeah, so. um, yeah. I just, I, I am, I am genuinely kind of in awe of this volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's really is a really it's, it's, strong. Again, volume thirty-nine, right? And it's this good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that's nuts. Yeah, that's it... genuinely nuts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really um, is. Yeah, it's just it's just crazy. Moving on, there's going to be show notes for this episode on Monday at some point. Again, probably towards the end of the day because day job. At weightwattpodcast.com. While you're waiting for that, at weightwattpodcast is our Twitter account. Jeff has a Twitter account at lazybastard at l a z y b a s t i d. I have a Twitter account at graham m at g r a e m e m. And we're a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff is going to talk to you right now. I am, and I'm going to keep it really quick because for whatever reason, I'm starting to drastically run out of gas. So. Man, if you only knew how much Graham and I have been talking uh, recently about the podcast and kind of about our listeners and our obligations to our listeners and how much listeners play a part in the discussions that we have. And I am so incredibly grateful for the people who listen to us and have listened to us in many cases for Years, an absurdly long number of years, Graham. I wasn't paying attention, but we've been doing this for something like 13 years. Thir- 13 years. Yeah, it's genuinely crazy. started apparently in like July, July of 2009. So we just passed our 13 year anniversary. Which... Happy anniversary, Jeff. And to you too, Graham. And, and to all you listeners, like I said, some of you... God help you, might have have been listening the whole 13 years. Some of you may have been uh, of the hardy stock that have listened to all 13 years, uh, you know, in a few weeks and are now completely up to speed. Some of you are listening perhaps for the very first time and being like, what in the name of God am I listening to? But we genuinely do. We appreciate all of you. We appreciate your comments, uh, your questions, Insights to uh, that you throw on the feed um, after the post that Graham always talks about posting at an indeterminate time on Monday. 
always worth following because I think we have some of the absolute best uh, commentators, uh, especially for giving us, ins- giving me in particular insights uh, on some of these dread stories that I ine- inevitably overlook. Incredibly grateful for that. And I'm hugely grateful to our supporters on Patreon who throw us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh every month as a way of saying thanks uh, and literally inspire us to new heights. Uh, Drock exists and Baxter Building, our previous read-through of the first 416 issues of the Fantastic Four, solely because of your guys' support and getting us to a stretch goal and something that we have managed to um, always take quite seriously and has been literally in in the case of Drock a a real education for me I'm incredibly grateful Um, gotta give a shout out to Empress Audrey Queen of the Galaxy for her continuing support of this podcast Um, and uh, my understanding is she she manages to keep an eye on things in the uh, in the galactic cosmic sense of things and uh, you know considering we have not been uh, hit with another enormous meteor uh, since, I don't know, 1910 or so. I I think it's proof that she's doing a great job. Thank you, Audrey. Graham? I will give Jeff and all the rest of you listeners a, a fair warning. We loved this volume very much in large part because of how great John Wagner was. John Wagner is not in that much of the next volume. But mm. do you know who is? Who? Pat Mills. Oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit, indeed. Oh, just, shit. The just, wild card, the chaotic jester himself, the, 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 the I want to say smiling, but sort of the smiling, joking, uh, tantrum-throwing anarchist joker to Wagner's uh, Batman um, returns to dread. Very exciting to me. Just throwing that out there. Next volume is a really genuinely weird one, everyone. So (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) Buckle Uh, up, Buttercup. We have a regular rate one next week, and uh, I look forward to talking comics with everyone. I have at least one more comic convention to talk about, I think. Yeah, Emerald City. Yeah, that's right. Like, has already happened, but I haven't talked about it on the podcast yet. So I'll be talking about that next week. Until then, Jeff... It's a drug. You sing us out. I shall, although I got to tell you, like I said, I'm feeling run down, so I'm not even really sure I have the energy to say, Drock, you're under arrest, citizen. Report to the isocubes, and we'll see you in 30. <laughs> <laughs>